0: You're listening to Going Legit. I'm Rachel Dorsey. This episode is from the archives. A lot has changed since the time of this recording, but I hope it serves you nonetheless. He said, what if she was pregnant? Would it suck the baby out when she got her stomach pumped? And these are all high school
1: seniors. And I tried to explain, like, no a fetus grows in a uterus, not a stomach, and all the girls in the class, and I'm a spellman, everyone knows that the baby grows in the tummy. And it occurred to me, like... They're all having sex. They have no idea how their bodies work. They don't even know basic anatomy. Um, And so I started to try to kind of like incorporate health topics into my English class. And I was actually like put on professional suspension because I said I was teaching sex ed without a credential. So I got a credential.
0: (laughs) Julia Feldman is an Oakland-based sex educator with over 12 years of experience in formal education. You can find her on Instagram at givingthetalk. Her work is a reflection of her core belief that sexuality is an important and dramatically misunderstood aspect of our identities. She believes in a world where access to information guides healthy decision-making, a world where stigma and shame are absent, and a world where curiosity and learning is continuous. I've learned so much from her and feel so lucky to have access to the wisdom, perspective, and tools she provides as I raise my boys. We met up in Oakland to record this conversation. You're listening to Going Legit. I'm so pumped you're here. I have been wanting to talk to you for a very long time. Um, you know, you were always intrigued me We when we danced near each other um, at Hipline. I was, I was like, I wonder what her story is. She seems really interesting, but we never, you know, like ships passing in the night, oh, yeah. we never really had the chance. So when you, I, I loved following you personally online, and then when you launched Giving the Talk, I was like at the edge of my seat, and I've been at the edge of my seat ever since.
1: Oh, that's wonderful to hear. Um, yeah, it's, it was a really big deal for me to start that Instagram, which seems like such a silly thing to say, but it's done so much for me in terms of just communicating to my community what I do, because I think so many of us operate in isolation, just doing our own thing and working really hard at it. And there's something that takes a lot of courage to kind of put yourself out there and and make yourself vulnerable and show people, like, this is what I do. And it's been such a great response from people to say, like, oh, now that I know what you do,
0: I love it. And and it, it really fuels me and keeps me going because you need something to keep you going. Absolutely. And, like, what you're doing is quite unique. You know, there aren't a lot of people who you – know, it's not mainstream. Yeah. So I want to hear a little bit about – um how you found this path. I mean, I was reading about you um before, and I know you've been an educator for a very long time. You know, why this? Why sex I mean sex yeah. sex educator? Yeah. Okay.
1: I mean for me it really started with health education, and then I kind of found my niche. I struggled with chronic illness as a child, um as a young adult, and I really had to learn how my body worked and how to advocate for myself. And I realized early on that those are skills that most people don't know. And it was really frustrating for me to have to learn myself and kind of teach myself how our healthcare system works and how our bodies work and, you know, like how all of these things kind of work in concert with one another and then how to, you know, tell doctors that were telling me I was crazy that I wasn't crazy and how to stand up for myself. And and developing those skills early on made me realize how unfair it is that no one teaches us this stuff younger. Mm -hmm. Um, And the fact that I had to seek it out myself made me feel like, I then had to share it with the world. It's kind of like when you plan a wedding or you buy a house and then afterwards you're like, I could be a wedding planner or I could be a realtor. I kind of had that experience where friends would just text me constantly like weird questions about their body or questions about sex and I would just get back to them. And so I took a circuitous route. Um, I studied sociology and sociology of health when I was in my undergrad and international development and I thought I would like go save the world and then towards the end of your degree they teach you that actually development work is like really oppressive and creating, you know, replicating all these types of systemic oppression and you don't want to do that and so I came back to the Bay Area and started teaching, um, which I started teaching high school English because I was assigned to that topic through Teach for America and I early on in my like teaching experience found out that um, my students really had no knowledge of bodies or how their health works, and um, I had one experience where I was teaching Fahrenheit 451, and the captain of the football team, this is a book that's usually taught to 6th and 7th graders, and I was teaching it to high school seniors because of their reading levels, and the captain of the football team raises his hand and asks, Miss Feldman, but what if, and this is a situation where the main character's wife had taken s- sleeping pills and swallowed a lot, and she had to have her stomach pumped, he said, what if she was pregnant? Would it suck the baby out when she got her stomach pumped? And these are all high school seniors, and I tried to explain like. No, a fetus grows in a uterus, not a stomach, and all the girls in the class, and I'm a small Everyone knows that the baby grows in the tummy. And it occurred to me, like, they're all having sex. They have no idea how their bodies work. They don't even know basic anatomy. Um, and so I started to try to kind of, like, incorporate health topics into my English class, and I was actually, like, put on professional suspension because I said I was teaching sex ed without a credential. So I got a credential. <laughs> and I just, I left that school after a couple years and started teaching health full-time, and just kind of I moved to the Dominican Republic and taught English and health at the school down there. I came back. I worked as an administrator. I started to get closer and closer to health and health and education and then eventually focused on sex. So my last steady job before I went rogue on my own was working with a local school district and coordinating their sex education through the CDC grant that we had. And I was training teachers and writing curriculum and I loved the work and I hated the bureaucracy mm-hmm. and having three different bosses who wanted three different things from me and not being able to do the work. And so finally I thought, you know, like, I can do this. People can see that I'm good at this. I know that I'm good at this. I can do this on my own. And so I, I made the break and <laughs> decided wow. to do it for myself.
0: <laughs> and so how long have you been doing it for yourself solo full-time?
1: Um, solo full-time, basically I quit that study gig when I was four months pregnant and my kid is three and a half now. Wow. So it's, yeah. It's been, you know, about
0: four years. (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. I think it's so powerful when someone starts something out of a need. You know, you see the need, you solve the problem. That's that's the way to be successful. Totally. And to constantly be
1: reminded that the need is there. And I feel Mm -hmm. like that's the thing that's fascinating about this work is that, you know, like I write a post every single day. Occasionally I'll take a day off, but sometimes, and I write them, usually, like, when my kid's in the bathtub and I've cleaned up the kitchen and I'm like sitting on my kitchen stool doing it cause it's all on my phone. And then my we put the kid to sleep and then my partner and I will like sit in the living room and edit it and revise it and find the images for it. And that's usually around like midnight or 1am every single night. And some nights I just like feel puzzled. I'm like, what am I possibly gonna write about? And then I think about a conversation I had with someone earlier that day and it gives me fuel because there's always stuff that people need to know.
0: <laughs> there's so, and I, I, I said this to you before we started recording, I have learned so much from your account. I, I have, it's, it's wacky to me that I'm a 34 year old mother of two with who, as I said, like I grew up with a pretty open family. You know, I went, I had sex ed, I, I, I could ask questions and have them answered in a real way. And I'm still learning things that I I just never even considered. Oh, yeah.
1: Well, there's just kind of this basic amount of knowledge that people think, oh, this is what you need to know about your body. It's like if you have a body with a uterus, like you need to know, oh, you're going to get your period. Eventually, your breasts are going to grow. Like you're going to bleed about once a month. You could get pregnant. These are things you need to know about yourself. But in terms of like actually what's going on in your body and how it works and why it's doing what it's doing, like these are things we should have access to as well because it's empowering to know why. And when you know why, when something isn't right, you know how to make sense of it and what to do about it. But it's like we're kind of doled out these small pieces of information, and if you get that, then you're good to go. And the expectation that you'd get any more is just unrealistic or unnecessary or indulgent, um, and that's just wrong. (laughs) We should have access to all of the information, and, and we shouldn't just be handed tiny little bits and told that that's sufficient.
0: When you were growing up, you said that you suffered some for, from chronic um, pain. Mm-hmm. Um, did, you, did you think you wanted to get into me- medical or health or something? What did you want to be? Yeah, I always wanted to be a chef. Right.
1: I loved to cook. I worked in restaurants when I was younger um, and that was really kind of my passion. And I did food for a long time and it wasn't until, I guess, one summer that I was back from college and I was working um, in this restaurant doing like prep at night. It was like a breakfast brunch place and I was part cooking bacon or something in the middle of the night. And I thought like, I hate this, you know, Mm -hmm. I love to cook and I love to cook for people that I love, but I don't want to do this for a living. And then I kind of had this dilemma where it's like, well, what do I do from there? You know? Um, And, and it's funny because I feel like it never even occurred to me that this like fascination with health and, and interest in like communicating it to people and empowering people was a legitimate job. You know, it's one of those things where there's always a demand. People were always texting me and asking me questions. And I um, found lots of interesting ways to kind of get at the work. Like when I was in college, I worked with a sexual assault center doing support groups. And so I like, I found interesting ways. I like worked with an organization that taught sex ed in schools in Montreal, where I was in college. And so like, I had opportunities to kind of engage with the work, but it never occurred to me that that could actually be a person's job, you know, because it wasn't something that I saw modeled for me. It didn't seem like it was
0: legitimate. So when you, so you went from the food scene, you went into education, Mm -hmm. you traveled, you did Teach for America, you got your credential, you got your education, and then you, like you said, you went rogue. Yeah. What was your biggest fear during that transition? Oh, I mean, financial concerns, absolutely. Um, I...
1: Fortunately at that time was with a partner, so I could get health insurance through them because with all my health concerns, I was always afraid of like not having health insurance, not being able to support myself, living in the Bay Area. It's expensive, you know, like to to have a steady salary, even if it's just a teacher's salary, to have that steady salary and say goodbye to it in the hopes that something else will deliver is
0: a scary step to take. <laughs> how long, how long did it take, and are you even there yet that you've been able to replace that salary with the the money you're able to earn on your own no I'm definitely not there yet
1: I mean I'm I'm a full-time mom right now you know to a young child so this work is something that I'm figuring out how to do on the side and I'm actually having to turn work away which is like an exciting and interesting position to be in because I never thought that I'd be there um but yeah figuring out how to kind of navigate all of the mom responsibilities and just the life responsibilities and building a business at the same time is, um, is challenging. So yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not replacing my teacher salary yet, but, um, and this past year, the growth has been incredible. And so
0: I'm really hopeful. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, you're on the right track and, and I also really appreciate that honesty because I think that, you know, we live in a bit of a culture, well, we live like fake it till you make it and that's chill. And like, I'm all about that at the same time. What we see is not always necessarily exactly as it is. And so it can be, it can be just like with sex, like what, what we see online, what we see in the media is not actual sex. And the same thing with business, you know, what you see online about people being wildly successful, it's not always necessarily that way. Oh, totally. And so I love that you're, that you're being super transparent about that. That like you, you've been at it for four years, more than four years. Four years. Um, I mean, I've. I've been at it very
1: part-time for most yeah. of those. It's only in the past year that I've really dove in because I was a stay-at-home mom with a kid. Yeah. Um, but it's also interesting because, because health and sex is not something that people talk about or really value in a, a social context in terms of education trying to find ways for people to value it in a financial way is also really challenging. I mean, I always joke that, you know, my partner always wants to quit his job so that he can, you know, work for me. And I joke that like, no one's going to pay me the big bucks to teach them sex ed. Um, but I'm surprised that the opportunities that are presenting themselves. But it's hard, you know, when you're dealing with an industry that has so much stigma. You know, like there's areas around sex that people can make money. You can make money doing porn. You can make money selling sex toys. You know, like there's a, a few areas that people view as being, you know, potentially profitable. But sex education and like empowering people with information they should have had so that they can live healthy, fulfilling lives is not something that we really think of attaching um, a high
0: price tag to. That's actually which, people which like I think is bullshit because okay. I think that if there's one thing that we should be, you know, putting investing our resources as a society, it should be into that. Oh totally. I couldn't agree more. <laughs>
1: Um, But it's, you know, it's hard to try to find people that are willing to do that. It's hard to value your work that has been stigmatized by society in a way that you'll come from a place of, like, confidence and pride to demand that people pay you what you deserve. You know, like, that is a, it's a juggle.
0: Totally. Totally. And then I also want to talk about just parenthood for a minute. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, as a parent, that's a tremendous amount of responsibility. And as a a stay-at-home parent and, you know, primary parent to hold that space for your child while your partner's out working... That is a full time job, and yet you've still you are still managing to carve out a lot of time and energy to, to or as much as you can yeah. to build your business. Yeah. And I, I I would I'm gonna put words in your mouth and you tell me if I'm right or wrong, but you probably wanna do more. But you can't. Oh yeah. I what? mean they're they're literally only so many hours in the day,
1: and most of my work is done when I probably should be sleeping. Um but it you know, crafting a business around being a primary parent is a really difficult thing to do. I love to work, but I'm also a person that needs time to get involved with my work. And when you're a parent, you usually will get like 40 minutes here or 30 minutes there. And the thought of like writing something of value and substance in 30 minutes when you have to then go like make lunch or pick someone up or wipe someone's butt, (laughs) you know, like all the things that just come along with being a parent. It's, it's really hard it's hard to find that time and that like mental space to even make the opportunity for work
0: to happen and that leads me you know we're talking about how there's not a lot of support for health education and sex education there's also not a lot of support for families oh, here definitely. you know it's, it, um, do you have family nearby like I do you know
1: actually my partner and I are both born and raised in Oakland so we have a community here and that's great but even having a community is it's, it's
0: not enough. Yes. You know? Yeah. It's, it's a demanding thing. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I feel you 100%. Um, so I want to hear how you recharge and how you stay inspired when you are going full force all the time as a mom, you have responsibilities as a partner, you have responsibilities to your business, and now to your followers, you have followers. Like, there are actually people who are looking to you for your wisdom now. I know. And they miss you when you're That term follower is such a a challenging
1: word to work with. Um, Yeah, I reached 2,000 today, which is really exciting. Congratulations. Thanks. how do I recharge? Mostly I dance. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, I, yeah, on Saturdays like today I did three dance classes. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Really? Yeah. Um, and so it's, I mean, there's something really powerful about dance and also about being in a space where no one can disrupt you and you're just focused on yourself and how you feel. And there isn't the opportunity to go, you know, clean some dishes or go fold some laundry. There's nothing else you can do, but focus on yourself. So finding places, where you can unapologetically focus on yourself has been a really big thing for me. And then beyond that, like I love to cook and I I love going to the farmer's market and figuring out like amazing things to make. I make my challah every Friday. Like we have our routines around food and that's been really helpful for me. And sometimes Mary Poppins does some babysitting while I'm cooking dinner. Um,
0: But yeah, food is a really important way to recharge also. Amazing. So I have so many little trails I want to follow. The first one I'll follow the dance one. Yeah, that's where I met you was on the dance flow yes. at Pipeline. line. Is that where you still dance? Oh, yeah. I was there for four hours. <laughs> that's so amazing. So, yeah. um, so tell me why that space is so powerful for you.
1: It is a place where you're just really encouraged to do what feels right and do what you want to do. And, you know, they have really awesome teachers that are really inspiring, that are just really empowered and supportive of people in that space. I've met so many amazing women. I mean, I... I was talking yesterday about the fact that I always heard about this for men, that there's like communities where men network and like you brush shoulders with people that are, you know, important in their fields. And I feel like I inadvertently like stumbled into this community. And I had been dancing there for nine years now. And it wasn't until the last couple of years I actually started really meeting women and talking to them. It was always kind of like ships in the night and like that person seems cool and I wonder what she's up to and you'll never know. And I've started actually forming some really great friendships with people in the last couple of years and it's, um, and it's done really good things for me professionally as well. But yeah, just, I mean, endorphins, you can't underestimate the importance of just sweating and using your body, um, stepping out of your comfort zone. I had never taken a dance class before I started there and it scared me. And then I found that there was this whole other way that I can engage with my brain and my body. That was just a really good separation from my reality. Um, but also just to have an opportunity to see myself as beautiful or see myself as sexy or, you know, like we spend so much time in our society looking to other people to reflect those things back to us and having an opportunity for me just to see myself that way, um, regardless of anyone else around me or anyone else's values or desires has also just been really powerful to be able to, I think as an entrepreneur, you have to have the ability to look at yourself and see your strengths because other people won't necessarily reflect them back to you. And having that space has been a really powerful way for me to, to, to do that.
0: Oh, yes. Yes. I love everything that you just said. And I have to, I got to say, like, the thing I miss the most about Oakland is hip line. Yeah. It's the number, like, I miss my friends, but I still am in touch. You know, I miss the food, but, like, I can still get it. Yeah. But the thing that you cannot replicate is hip line. You cannot. It's a unique community. It really is. And for me, you know, I remember when I went there the first time, it was, like, the first time I was going back to anything after having my first child. hmm And... I was like, "Oh God! Like, how am I gonna do this?" And I was looking at myself in the mirror, and I was like, "Oh, like, I was just all this negative self-talk." Yeah. I'm like, oh, I'm so frumpy, and oh, this, oh, that, whatever. And like, after three classes, that narrative changed for me. Oh yeah. I started dressing differently to the classes because I was like, "Okay, this is my time to. Sh- this is my moment oh, in yeah. my own spotlight." And the way that the teachers, um, the the choreographers, talk to you and talk about. The body and like touch yourself, and like you are on fire, like whatever. And you're like, I am on fire, like, oh, totally. look at me go. It's it's oh yeah crazy I, mean, I
1: bought however. my like signature red lipstick and until recently I only wore it while I was dancing I would literally like wipe it off in the car on the way home because for me it was something that I was doing for myself you know yeah. and and but it well, still is yes it's still even is. though you even walked though in the door I now moment. enter other parts of the world with it yes. usually don't wear it while I'm teaching there's a lot of you know stigma around sex educators being too sexy so, yeah you know sometimes I teach in my turtleneck but I always have my red lipstick <laughs> in my back Pocket, yeah, <laughs> just in case. Yeah. I love that.
0: I love that. Um, so, what are you excited to try this year? Is there anything um, exciting on the horizon? Anything new that we can look forward to from you? Yeah,
1: that's a good question. I feel like so much of my work right now is just me flying by the seat of my pants. Like, opportunities present themselves, and I'm like, yes, I will do that. So, I don't really know what's in store for me this year. I've had some amazing opportunities. I've been working at SF General with survivors of breast cancer and working with oncologists about how to talk to their patients about sexuality. I've been working with parents. Uh, Some wonderful, awesome parents hired me to teach their 16-year-old daughters sex ed because they felt like what they were getting at school was deficient. I am working in schools. I'm Doing these series for adults. I'm doing my next workshop tomorrow about communication and sexuality for adults. And so, I don't know. I don't really know what the future holds. But I feel like these opportunities keep presenting themselves in ways that I couldn't have imagined before. So I'm pretty excited. That's great. And yeah. you're staying
0: open. And that's. I think that that's a really key thing for entrepreneurs. Is like you. You aren't given a map. Yeah. And you probably don't have time to write one. So you you know you just stay open to opportunity and you say yes when it feels right and you say no when it doesn't feel right. Um, speaking of that, like how do you make decisions when when opportunities are presented to you? I mean, if you don't yeah. have your roadmap, yeah, what what are you guided by? Yeah, I mean, I look at the
1: opportunity. I definitely. Unless it's something that I'm super passionate about and I would do unquestionably, I make sure that there's some compensation involved and that that compensation makes me feel valued because I've realized that that makes such a big difference in terms of just how I feel about the work. If someone offers me something that's ridiculously small, it's a blow to my ego and it makes me feel like I'm not invested or motivated to work hard. So. Um, For the most part, I make sure there's some compensation, and then I just make sure that what they're offering me is something that's aligned with my values. I've had a couple people um, ask me to either be on their podcasts or try to um, help them with their branding for different types of products related to sexuality, or. Or, yeah, different opportunities that don't really represent the type of sex ed that I want to do that's really focused on body positivity and empowerment and diversity and inclusiveness um, and being supportive of people of all gender identities and sexual orientations and just making sure that that is completely integrated into everything that I do. So, I mean, it's... It's been hard sometimes when you're like, I would love to make some money, but I don't agree with what you're doing and I don't want my name associated with that. It's it's an interesting opportunity to be presented with and to kind of have that litmus test for yourself to be like, yes, that's something that I would love to do or that's interesting and it's not for me, but thanks for the offer. (laughs) How do you say no? Um... Yeah, usually something along the lines of like, I really appreciate you um, extending this opportunity to me and either I don't have time for it right now or it's just not something that I feel
0: like is right for me and my business, but I hope you find someone else that can do it. That's great. Yeah. That's clear. Yeah. It doesn't leave the door open if you want the door to close. Yeah, and exactly. I think that that's, um, that's another key to communication. Exactly. So it's it's cool to hear that sort of real life example because, you know, again, this is something you're going to be teaching, but it's the same. You know, we have to work our consent muscle.
1: Oh, totally. These are just basic life skills. I mean, it's, it's funny because I feel like so much of what I'm talking about and trying to teach people is so obvious in common sense, that it seems silly to me sometimes that I'm even teaching it to people or being paid to teach it. And then I remind myself that we're not taught this stuff. And so even though it seems silly and it seems so obvious, it's also such a challenge for so many people to figure out how to navigate just finding their voice and using it in a clear, direct way. Um, and that's sad for me that we aren't taught how to do this, but it also is really exciting when people come back to me and say like, oh, I used that strategy and it really, really worked or I felt good about that because it, it's how we should all be interacting in the world. We should all
0: learn to find our voice and to use it in a clear, direct way. I read your article about tickling Mm -hmm. and using tickling as a tool to teach consent. Mm -hmm. And I sent that to like every person, every parent, every grandparent that I knew. And I was like, you have to read this article because it always made sense to me if a kid says stop or they look uncomfortable. You stop. Yeah, and I've been in situations before with my kids and other people, and they're, you know, when they were little, and they keep go like the kids oh, yeah. not having it anymore, and they keep going, and I'll have to say, no means no. Yeah, they said no. Oh yeah, and and you have to sort of like, and people are like, oh, but we're uh, bu- we're just uh, having fun, right? We're just playing around, um,
1: and it's a challenging interaction to have with other adults because you're not suggesting that they are violating your child in some sort of terribly inappropriate way, but they are sending subtle messages that your child is going to, you know, in- integrate into their sense of how you communicate with people and what they can expect from adults and from trusted people in their lives. And some people get really mad at me. They're like, tickling is fun. Why would you try to ruin tickling for everyone? And I try to explain, I'm not ruining
0: it. I, I love
1: tickling just as much as the next guy, but I also like when it stops. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. And when when... Uh... You know, children need to learn that their words have power. They need to learn it for their own selves and they need to learn it for how they're going to teach other people or how they're going to treat other people down the line. Oh, yeah. And I think um, I I am so pleased that you're doing this work in this moment in time because I think a lot of people are receptive to it. Oh, yeah. And I think that there is change occurring and I think that the parents of our, you know, of our generation Are trying to be more conscious about this stuff like not forcing your child to hug someone they don't want to hug or like a kiss goodbye like yeah all those things in our day it was just that's just you just suck it up yeah yeah well and I think it's interesting
1: with me too and just kind of the fact that all of these issues around consent are making it into like our actual mainstream society and mainstream discourse there's this big void about well then what do we do you're like, we can acknowledge these issues are there and that we've been struggling with them for a long time, but then as parents and as humans, what do we do with that knowledge and how do we try to, you know, remedy it so that we're not repeating these patterns so that, you know, years down the line, we don't sit there and acknowledge like, yeah, we still have the exact same problems, should have tried to fix that, but we didn't know how. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think there's like very real tools that we can implement very easily to try to fix that. And, and there should be more of a discussion about that going on. So
0: if you were talking to a person without children, Mm -hmm. but in a, you know, out in the world having sex, like what three tools or tips might you offer to them so that they could have, um, so that they can live by sort of like live their sexuality in accordance with your, uh, philosophy? Um, the first thing is just that
1: your body is wonderful the way that it is that you were made right that there's nothing wrong with you that you are beautiful that you should find a way to feel confident in your body and comfortable in your body and develop a really nurturing healthy relationship with your body um and that it's got to start there you've got to feel good about yourself um the second thing would probably be that you deserve pleasure and your body should be a source of joy and happiness for you not only should you feel comfortable in your body but you deserve to enjoy your life and to feel good in your body your body should never hurt especially when you're having sex unless that's something that you want which is a whole nother area Um, but for the most part you should feel a lot of joy and pleasure from your body and if you don't you should really employ a lot of resources to try to figure out how to do that whether if sex is painful for you then you should talk with your doctor and check with a a pelvic physical therapist and figure out how to get support around figuring out what what issues are going on. If you um, have never really had fulfilling orgasms before, go and invest in some really good sex toys and find a way to give yourself pleasure that you deserve. And then lastly, it would just be communication. You know, We need to learn how to talk about our bodies and how to talk about our sexuality in a way that feels comfortable and natural and empowering. And we need to learn how to communicate with other people about our wants and needs because You can't get what you want unless you ask for it. And we have such a stilted way of talking about bodies and sexuality in our society. And we need to really kind of reject what we've been taught about that. And we need to reset the notion that, you know, there's anything wrong with it. Our bodies are the most natural, healthy thing. Everyone has one. You know, there's so much shame that we've been taught. And we need to kind of purge those ideas from our mind and really believe that communicating about our bodies and our wants and our desires is normal and
0: healthy and everyone should be doing it. Amen, sister. Thank you. Those were perfect. <laughs> perfect, perfect. Um, so I want to hear if... You, I sort of want to shift gears mm. a little bit and talk fra- about from like the business side of things. Yeah. You know, do you have any big regrets or any big missed opportunities as you've been building your career?
1: Um. Let's see. Big regrets. I feel like I... I regret not working harder to maintain the relationships that I had in my last job and trying to leverage those more into um, opportunities for me on my own. Um, And a lot of it had to do with timing, you know, like I left my job and I had a baby and it's hard to, you know, it's hard to do anything when you have a newborn um, but a lot of that also was just not me having full confidence in my ability to kind of communicate what I wanted to do and how I wanted to do it and believe that people would invest in me and hire me uh, to do that. So, I think my biggest regrets just have to do with
0: listening to my inner critic and mm-hmm. not believing that I could do the things that I clearly could have done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, the good news is you could always go back. Exactly. You know, yeah. especially now that, exactly. that you, you have cultivated something real and important and you have a lot of, of stuff that you've built under your belt. You could exactly. always go back. Yeah, I'm sure you didn't light it on fire as you walked. The no, there is no like, <laughs> no molotov cocktail that I threw behind no, me as I no. ran. No. That happens though. sometimes. Yeah. people are like, I'm out. <laughs> so, what do you love the most, and what do you love the least about being your own boss and you know being being on your own?
1: I love being able to make my schedule. Although anyone that works themselves knows that you have to compromise in that respect. You have a vision that like, oh, I'm only going to work when I want to, and then there's the days when you're juggling pickups and drop-offs and getting to your gig and, you know, doing all those things at once. And so I like the flexibility that it affords, but just like everything else in life, there's not as much flexibility as we'd probably like. Um, I love getting a check from a job that I've done, especially a job that I felt really good about, feeling like the work was really valuable and well-received and then actually receiving the money for it as well. It's... I still sometimes get giddy when I get compensated, <laughs> you know, even though I'm used to getting paid now, it still feels really exciting because it's like a reminder that, that I'm legit, you know, that like this is actually happening um, and that I'm actually like making a successful go at it, um, which I imagine most entrepreneurs just like also, you know, you just kind of shocked when you realize like I had a vision and it's happening and look at that. Who knew that was actually possible?
0: Absolutely, I love that. And speaking of compensation, I wanna—you spoke earlier about, you know, if someone wants you to do work, you need to get paid for it. Yeah. And I wanna hear sort of how you, you know, what would you say to other people? Like, what tools do you have? Um, what sort of language do you use when it's when it's time to get paid?
1: Yeah. <laughs> um,
0: tools that I have. I wish I had more tools in my
1: my toolkit. Um, I really just I tell them that I have an hourly rate and that that's my rate. And I still, you know, negotiate against myself when it comes to that. When I'm working with schools, I try to make myself more affordable. Um, Even though a lot of the schools I'm working with, I imagine probably could and probably do pay other people bigger bucks. Um, So yes, one one of my big tips would be don't negotiate against yourself. Set a price that you feel like you're worth and tell people that's your price Mm -hmm. and really stick with it. Mm -hmm. And, if someone absolutely claims they can't afford it and you want to do work with them, then find a price that still makes you feel valued. Because I think the thing that's been hardest for me is opportunities that I've taken on where I haven't received enough compensation. And then I just feel resentful or, you know, like it, it, it influences the work that you do, even if you don't want it to, because you need
0: to feel valued. Totally. Um, so and yeah. when you're doing work. It's like, pay me money. Exactly. Pay me real money. Exactly.
1: And you're hiring me to do this because you can't find other people to do it.
0: So if it's something that you value, then show me that you value it. Totally. Totally. So um, how will you know when you've made it? Um, my partner would say when he can quit his job and <laughs> will support us all. <laughs>
1: um, uh, how will I know that I've made it? I don't know. I don't. I don't know if I'll ever reach a point where I'll say, like, oh, I've made it now. Um, because I don't I've never had a, a barometer where it's like, oh, I need to publish a book, or I need to like, you know, be flown to this place or that place. You know, I I there's lots of different work that I like to do and lots of different opportunities that would make me feel really fulfilled. Um, but I'm also just a very self-critical person. And so I feel like even I I work a lot at when I like have an accomplishment actually like taking time to celebrate it. Cause I think it's so easy to have a success and feel like you just need to push any notion of it aside so that you can then go on to the next thing. So I've I've been spending a lot of time trying to like celebrate my victories. And I think that maybe as I get better at that, it'll be easier for me to see when I feel like I've made it. But yeah, I mean, I think probably part of it is money coming in consistently Maybe finding a way so that I can do my work not at 1 a.m. every morning. <laughs> Although it really is a nice exchange with my partner and I <laughs> doing our edits and talking about the work. And it's been great for our relationship to spend every night talking about all the things I post. Um, but, yeah, probably finding a, a way or a time to do my work that doesn't feel like it so encroaches on my ability to spend time with my family. Yeah. So I think that's that's the struggle, you know. Every new opportunity means that I'm missing, you know, a trip on the ferry with my family today. You know, that kind of thing.
0: Oh, no. Oh, no.
1: That was because of dance. do <laughs> okay. <take>
0: that <laughs> No.
1: And I, I thought they were going to Bed Bath & Beyond, but little oh. did I find out later they finna, took a fun trip to the city without oh, me. Oh, man. So, you know
0: what? It's good for them. It's exactly. good for them. It's good It's good for dad to have those those opportunities exactly. too. You know, that's something that I have appreciated as my kids have gotten older mm-hmm. is how they need me less. Yeah. like. Which is also a little sad, but I've been like dying for this this time of life where it's like it's a Saturday. This is what I wanted to do. I wanted to come to Oakland. I wanted to talk to you. I had some other production-y stuff this morning. Mm -hmm. I got to drop in on a friend because I was running early. And as I was cruising and I called my husband and I was like, How's baseball going? How's gymnastics? And he's like, Oh, it's great. Like this happened and this happened. And I'm like, ah. You don't even need me! So it's a win-win right here. Yeah, so I feel like it's coming for you. Oh, okay. You know, I feel like, you know, once school starts and, like, yeah. you have a whole day. Yeah. Imagine. I can't, I can't fathom that. You know, yeah. like,
1: right now, we've got preschool Tuesday, Thursday mornings, and so I'm trying to cram everything into those time slots. Yeah. You know? Um. Yeah. yeah I feel like I, I see that possibility in the future, yeah. and that is a really exciting, exciting possibility, you know?
0: Um, we're not there yet. <laughs> yeah, no, you're not. You're still in the fire, and it's okay. Like, it's all every time I, you know, when I say, like, oh, yeah, like, here's where we are now, and people are like, oh, my God, just wait. Just wait till they're 12. Like, you'll be right back in it again. And it's like, you know, it's all good. Yeah. It's all the journey. It's all hard. It's all beautiful. It's yeah. all soft. It's all scratchy. Like, totally. it's all, it's all, all the things. Yeah. I feel like I
1: underestimated the extent to which I would love being a mom, you know, and that kind of caught me by surprise in the most wonderful way possible and I kind of pushed my vision of my work to the side because I was just in love with being a mom. And now I feel like I'm starting to like fall in love with work and simultaneously maintain that love of being a mom. And it's it's a it's a fascinating thing to try to
0: balance, but it's exciting to see it happening. And it's exciting that you're you're putting it out there. And I yeah. think, you know, again, it's you know, when we talk about the messages that we receive You know, this is also, this is part of why I wanted to do this podcast to begin with. It's like, let's just demystify this, you know, like everybody, everybody's doing it in their own way and it looks a lot shinier and easier. Like we see, I I used this metaphor before, like you see the, you see the success at the top of the iceberg, but you don't see all the hard work that it took underneath. Oh yeah. Um, you know, you see... Yeah, I, there are all these people who are struggling with infertility and they're bombarded with everybody with what feels like everybody else having babies. Oh yeah. And then there are people who are struggling to start a business and they're faced with what feels like everybody succeeding in business. Oh yeah. And or people buying homes or people like whatever insert whatever it is that you want oh, yeah. here. Um and, and it that's just it's just not the whole story ever. It never is. <laughs> So I want to, um, I want to ask you just a couple more questions. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I asked you, you know, what you're sort of excited about for this next year, but I want to sort of zoom that out to 10 years because that might make it a little easier, um, or really a lot harder, but like you mentioned, you know, a book, for example, like I would love to see you come out with a book. Like, (laughs) is that something that you, that you'd like to do?
1: Oh yeah. I mean, that's been a dream of mine for a long time, but even just the way that that project looks has changed so much in the past year in terms of the work that I'm doing. Um, it's hard for me to imagine where this work will take me in in 10 years. Um, yeah, in just one year, I'm, I've am i found a completely different professional voice than I had before, which is really exciting. You know, like my background is teaching in schools. You know, I was teaching high school health and middle school puberty education. And when your voice and your focus has to be tailored specifically to students. It's very different than finding a voice that also works with adults and finding ways to kind of connect with all different types of populations. So I'm not quite sure. I would love to have a book. I would love to, you know, to find myself speaking at events and 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 I, you know, there's a, there's a lot of things that I would yeah. like to do, but it's hard to imagine, yeah. you know, and it's hard to imagine what opportunities there are for this type of work. And I feel like that's the thing that I constantly struggle with, you know, like, yeah, a few books that are about sex ed that are awesome come out every year, you know, but not that many people are buying those books. <laughs> yeah. So finding a way to make my voice unique and trying to find a way to do what I'm doing in a way that's different from other people in a way that is meaningful to people.
0: It's a, it's a struggle. Yeah. Well, you have a very compelling philosophy. You, you put out really, really thoughtful, um, incre- like, really, really interesting uh, conversation-sparking content, um, and I just see a, a really bright future for you, and I'm, I'm, you know, I think I was, like, maybe, like, your 62nd follower <laughs> you at giving were the early talk. on talk, and I was, so like, I was like, what's she doing? <laughs> okay. And then you know, ever I've just have I've watched your voice evolve, and I've watched your your following get more engaged, and or your community, I'll call them that, <laughs> get more engaged, and um, I just see all great things for you. So, thank you. I'm pumped. So my very <laughs> last question um, is, what is the meaning of life to you? Hmm, the meaning of life. I think
1: the meaning of life is to find your passion and find what the world needs and find a way to unite what you're good at and what the world needs and find a way to draw a lot of joy and happiness from that, whether it's making the people in your immediate community happy or healthy or feeding them or nurturing them or sharing whatever message or skill you have with the world. But I really think it has to do with finding what you're good at and finding what the world needs and finding a way to
0: find harmony with those two things. Amen. Thank you. Oh, thank you. You've been listening to Going Legit. This episode was produced by me, Rachel Dorsey. It was originally edited by my husband, Drew, and recut by our associate producer, Chelsea DeCuba. Original music was composed by the incomparable Taylor Joshua Rankin. Going Legit is executive produced by Bone & Gold. If you have feedback, comments, or feel called to share your own experience in response to what you heard in this episode, please feel welcome to do so on Instagram at Rachel Blair Dorsey. If you love what you heard, please consider leaving a review. And please, please, please share this episode with your friends. Thanks so much for listening.